This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski. With me, as always, even on Super Bowl Sunday, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. On any given Sunday, you'll find us here recording a brand new episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, which is much more exciting than the Super Bowl today. My mom just called to tell me that the score was ugly and that it was an awful game. That's why I watched the Grey Cup. I, I don't even know how to respond to that, but okay. Let's get going with a fantasy hockey podcast. Football's over. Get over it, everybody. It's hockey time. We're all approaching our fantasy hockey playoffs. Very exciting stuff. This is the time where you can't make any mistakes, Brian. I think I made some mistakes in my hockey pools recently. We'll talk about that soon. We'll talk about all the news and injuries and outries and hot streaks and cold streaks from the last week. Before we get to all of that, though, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It is the best fantasy hockey website out there. All the information you need, articles about any move that happens, daily ramblings, just talk about the previous night's games, which players should be on people's watch lists. Basically, kind of like a mini episode to keep in Carlson every day in the Daily Ramblings. Plus, you've got your starting goalies, line combinations, player profiles. It's all there. DauberHockey.com. Trust me. I like how you did that. I don't know if that's a compliment to the Ramblings or a compliment to us calling them a mini daily episode of the show. The Ramblings are like the original fantasy hockey nuggets and info that I once got into. And also something I've been using at Dabra Hockey frequently over the last little while is their big board. There's a report generator as part of their frozen pools tool. You pick a team, you pick a position if you want, you pick a time frame, and it'll run down how every player on that team has been doing in that given time frame. And I've used it several times to prepare for this episode. So thanks to Dabra Hockey and all your wonderful tools and for presenting the show. Great job, as always, Dabber <laughs> Hockey. Okay, let's get into it, Brian. Let's start with some injuries. A big one that came out just last week. We were talking about Connor Sheary and how he was doing so well as Sidney Crosby's line mate, almost a 70-point pace, and now he's injured for four to six weeks. Upper body injury, just brutal. Like, these injuries, and it really came out of nowhere. Like, no one even knew he got hurt, then all of a sudden just the news came out. He's going to be out long-term. Man, he's been having such an amazing season. It was the first star of the week, just the week before, according to NHL. I don't know how they decide that, by the way. I wish that we could be involved with that. That would be a lot of fun. But anyways, 
He was the first star of the week. Now he's injured. But okay, let's recap. 35 points in 42 games. It's a 68-point pace. He's only 24 years old. Brian, should people be trying to buy low on him in the keeper leagues at this point if they're already eliminated from their leagues and are thinking about next year or maybe they're far enough ahead and hope to get him back for their fantasy hockey playoffs? Like, how good is Connor Sheary as an asset moving forward? Like, we knew he was good now. We were telling everyone, you know, you need to add him and try to get him ASAP. But, like, as a keeper... How does he look for the future? Like, is he going to be Crosby's line mate for years to come? Or was this just like a lucky break for this year? If you're in a league that's been running long enough, and in your league, Chris Kunitz was an important guy to keep, then maybe Connor Sheary would fit the bill too. Now, I don't know that Sheary's going to get up to Kunitz-like levels because Kunitz also had that power play time to help build his point totals, and Sheary's been missing that. But Sheary's value as a guy who's shown himself to be capable of riding shotgun on the top line with Sidney Crosby certainly makes him worthwhile in deep enough keeper formats. We actually just shouted him out on a recent show as someone who is quietly doing amazing, and he's not someone you ever see scoring on the power play, which contributes to both his stealthiness in production this year and also how impressive he's been. He's second in the league in even strength points per 60. We're actually going to get to the first ranked player in the league in points per 60 later on on this episode. And yeah, we actually considered aloud that he was the next Chris Kunit. So I'm sort of sticking with that just in the sense that he can get to play on Crosby's wing for a long time and have much higher fantasy value because of it. So yeah, of course, we'll see in the future if Shiri can get the Kunitz power play time. That would definitely bring him over the top and make him someone much more valuable. But pretty impressive, like you said, that he's getting all these points just at even strength. I'm very curious to see who is going to be the number one guy, I guess, throughout the show. Hey, in the chat room, if you think Brian has mentioned the player, shout him out. We'll see who gets it first, me or you or nobody. And Brian just like, hey, this was the guy, by the way. But okay, Shiri's injured. Also, Malkin is still injured. He missed his fourth straight game yesterday with his lower body injury, but he skated Friday for what it's worth. So maybe Malkin will be back soon. Obviously, hopefully for Malkin owners, that would be a, a huge loss. That would make the Connor Sheary injury seem like nothing if Malkin is out long-term, but hopefully Malkin will be fine. But anyway, so a couple players missing. That leaves a lot of open spots in the top six and even on the top power play. In the Penguins' first game without Sheary, the returning Matt Cullen took Sheary's spot on the Crosby line with Hornkfist, and Matt Cullen got an assist. It was looking like, hey, maybe he'd be a good short-term pickup, but that didn't last. Here were yesterday's lines for the 4-1 win versus St. Louis for Pittsburgh. They had Crosby, Kunitz, and Rust. So Kunitz and Rust are the two that got on the Crosby line. And they had Kessel, Gensel, and Benino. Then Hornquist with Haglin and a guy named Carter Rowney. And then Cullen was down on the fourth line with Fair and Scott Wilson. So, okay. Spreading it around, I guess. Not great for Patrick Hornquist in the short term, obviously. Uh, seems like good news maybe for Chris Kunitz. Kunitz actually had two assists yesterday. Four shots on goal, five hits. Rust even had an assist. So both of those guys playing with Crosby get some value. Brian, I'd be curious to know, is there a Penguin forward you'd pick up as a free agent right now with these injuries? Like of all the possible streaming guys. Oh, I should also mention that Nick Benino was on the top power play, actually. He was with Crosby, Horkfist, Kessel, and Justin Schultz, who we'll get to in a second. So between like Benino and I guess Kunitz and I guess Brian Rust, who would you like between the three of those? As I'm sure they're available in free agency in a lot of leagues. I guess probably Kunitz isn't available if your league counts hits. And so let's just forget about hits and assume your league doesn't count that. Who would you want just for offense between the three? I'll take Chris Kunitz because of his reappearance alongside Sidney Crosby. And then I think Nick Benino would be my second choice, even though he's not playing with Sidney Crosby and Brian Rust is. I think I'd take him behind Kunitz just because I think there's a better chance of liking Kunitz's spot in the depth chart more than Benino's once Malkin returns to the lineup. And Benino, you know, you might say, well, maybe he'll keep playing with Malkin or be on the HBK line, which has such good chemistry. He's been a below half point per game guy while playing in his spot on the HBK line for the majority 
of the season. So I don't see a ton to get excited about around him. So I would prefer Kunitz in the short term. Okay, and then on defense here, I got to talk about it. So I mentioned Justin Schultz has been on power play one. Crystal Tang is back, but he's been on power play two. Like, what? Why is that happening? I guess obviously we know why it's happening. Schultz is like the third or fourth scoring defenseman in the league this year. He's been so good with Latang out, but you would have assumed when Latang came back, he'd take a spot. It reminds me last year of how Ghost Bear took over from Mark Strait when he got injured. And then when Strait came back, it was like, no, sorry, it's Ghost Bear's spot now. Man, that must be bad for Latang owners. I mean, to be fair, Crystal Tang scored yesterday, had two assists the game before. So he's been pretty good in his three games since returning. But Schultz had a goal yesterday as well. And that brings him to two goals and five assists in his last seven games. Patron Dave in our patron only Facebook group, he made a fun thread in the group asking about the free agent pickup of the year. Like, who did people think was their best free agent pickup? Budai was a name thrown around, and he got a shutout actually yesterday, got blown up today. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But Schultz has to be up there, right? Because most people didn't draft Schultz. I'm sure most people who have him on their teams picked him up as a free agent. He has been so, so good. Curious to know, should Latang owners be worried at this point that they don't even have the top power play defenseman on Pittsburgh? I spent so much auction money, Brian, for the Kakuffle to get Chris Latang. He's not even on the top power play. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's a real bummer for any Chris Latang owner who's also just trying to figure out what to do with his health situation. Hopefully he's back for the rest of the season. But even though he is, there's this huge downer that maybe he's not even on the top line on the power play. And that is because Justin Schultz has been so good. Justin Schultz has not been there like all season long. He's been there for a good chunk of the season, but he didn't start out the season on fire, yet he is still ranked right now fourth in the league amongst blue liners in scoring and is second in the league in points per 60 minutes amongst defensemen in scoring, and that's all situations. He's done a really good job, and I wonder if he could hang on to the top power play spot. That is concerning for Latang owners because in the two seasons before this one, Latang collected 51 of his 121 points on the power play. And surely that's going to be a little bit harder on the second unit, which isn't as loaded up as the first. So what I'm watching to see once Malkin comes back, especially is if the Penguins do try and balance their forwards a little more evenly amongst the two power play units. And that would, of course, help Latang's value. If he's right now on the second unit with essentially nobody, it's going to be harder for him to get power play points that way. But then again, maybe Latang is the way that they're trying to balance out the power play units. And they think, okay, well, if the first unit doesn't score, just having Latang on the second unit helps them have a more full power play effort. Anyway, I, that's like daydreaming as a Latang owner. That's best case scenario right now. At the end of the day, I can't be so picky about Latang because he's healthy. I'm just happy he's on the ice at all. And I'll wait another week or two before getting totally distraught about his power play situation. In the meantime, I am considering trying to sell high in one of my leagues. Yeah, I think it's something worth considering. There's a couple of defensemen now who have been bumped from the top power play. Did you notice that Zach Wierenski has been bumped? and looks like Seth Jones was there in the last game. We'll actually get to them in a little bit. Let's stick with injuries. Okay, Jason Spezza is on the IR with an upper body injury in Dallas. Looks like he'll be out a couple of weeks. Spets has been having kind of a disappointing season. He has 31 points in 45 games. So it's a 56-point pace. Fantasy relevant, sure. But I think we kind of hope that he could be at least 60, 65-point guy. 
He had a goal and three assists in his last three games before the game he got injured. So he was starting to heat up. Hopefully he'll come back strong. But anyways, it's a good opportunity for us to check in on the Dallas Lions. Looks like they split up Ben and Sagan as they are want to do every once in a while. So they had Ben, Patrick Eves, and Cody Eakin on the top line. And then Sagan with Roussel and Brett Ritchie on line two. Patrick Sharp still like on a nothing line with Faxa and Shore. Remember that they were actually getting some points at one, in one episode where we talked about that line doing something. But nothing recently. Top power play has been Ben, Eakin, Eves, Sagan, and Klingberg. So I guess the two main names here are Eves and Eakin. Eves, Patrick Eves, doing things again. He keeps on sort of like having a lot of value, being like so valuable, and then doing nothing. But right now he's on one of those upswings. He has four goals and five assists in his last eight games. No points yesterday versus Chicago, but five shots on goal. So I think now is definitely the time to be grabbing Patrick Eves if you can. He's obviously playing on a line with Jamie Ben, and he's on the top power play. Like, why not? Anyone aside from Ben, Sagan, Eves worth looking at for the short term with Spezza out? Like, Eakin assisted on Ben's goal yesterday. Do you think Cody Eakin is someone that people should look at as the next star that you would want as a forward aside from Ben Sagan and Patrick Eves? First off, I take some issue with you calling Spezza's season so far disappointing. Yes, he's down to what, a 56-point pace, and it's a sub-60-point pace, which I think is what a lot of people were hoping for, but he's still above 55 points, and I think that's pretty good for what he's doing at this point in his career. Less time with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan is part of the culprit for his sub-60 pace, but his shot rates have also tumbled to the lowest they've been in the past decade. Over the last few years, we could safely expect more than two and a half shots per game. Last year even spiked a little bit. Uh, This year, though, two shots per game is closer to what we're getting, and his shooting percentage returned to normal this year. But again, all that said, 56-point pace is pretty nice to get from him. It's really not all that far off from what you'd expect, although if you were expecting like 60 to 65, I can't imagine your disappointment. As for anyone on the stars who might be more interesting with Spezza out or just in general. I don't know. Cody Eakin has done the Patrick Eves thing before where he can play on the top line and do big things for a short period of time and looks great on your fantasy roster and then goes suddenly silent and is worthless to you. So I'll throw out a couple names who might be a little more even if not as exciting in Roddick Faxa and Devin Shore. They've both had their moments. And of the two, I think I prefer Devin Shore and maybe Radek Faxa also to Eakin, especially if he doesn't put a run together quickly and if he ends up off that top power play unit. I'm just going to throw this out here, Elon. I know you're not going to think much of it, but Yuri Hoodler might be playing with Tyler Sagan in the next game. So there's a little blast from the past, a name that has lost a lot of value over the last year, year and a half, but someone who can still do something and who I might trust more to do something than Cody Eakin. Hmm, Yuri Hoodler. Wow, yeah, he definitely has lost a lot of value. He's kind of like Patrick Sharp, two players on this team who used to be 70 plus point guys right now, both like pretty much completely useless. I would take Patrick Eves, I guess for sure, and Cody Eakin above either of those guys. All right, let's go to Tampa Bay for our next injury. Andre Palat has a lower body injury. He's day to day. Looks like we don't know too much about it. He might come back soon, but you know, surprisingly, the other non-Kucherov triplet in Tyler Johnson has finally started to break out. I didn't even realize this until I was preparing yesterday. He had an assist yesterday. That brought him the three goals and four assists in his last six games. I guess he's been the MVP of some people's teams in the last two weeks. Like There was a two-week matchup that just ended today. And Tyler Johnson, so many points, seven points in those six games. Really good for him. I guess it doesn't hurt him that Palat is injured. He's gotten onto the Kucherov line. He was playing with Kucherov and Nemesnikov yesterday. That used to be Palat's spot. Is 70-point Tyler Johnson back? Like If he was dropped in people's leagues, is it time to rush and grab him? 
I'm sure people would even take a 60-point Tyler Johnson considering what he was doing before this run and like how he did last year. He's only on a 51-point pace on the season, but like I said, seven points in his last six games. Do you think there's reason to believe that this will continue, or is this just fleeting production from Tyler Johnson who's just going to disappoint us like he has over and over again? Depends how high your expectations are. He has been on a 60-point pace since mid-December, so coming up on two months, that's a span of 24 games in which he has eight goals and 10 assists for 18 points, seven of those coming on the power play. They're not coming in like a totally consistent form, like he'll get blanked and then get a multi-point game and get blanked to get a multi-point game. But I guess you can't complain if you own him, given how much better it is a situation now than it was the first 25 games of the year. I would caution that 70-point Tyler Johnson is certainly not back. He may have been a mirage in the first place. His shot rates are in decline for the third consecutive year since that 70-point outburst, and they haven't even perked up for this recent surge. So perhaps you can start hoping for 60 points. I think that would be reasonable. The return of power play success has definitely helped him. He's already beaten his power play point total of last year, and it took him 27 fewer games to do it. I still think 55 points is safer for him. But in any case, I think, again, that you can get reasonably hopeful that he may begin to be a consistent contributor to your squad. 55 points, again, reasonable to think for. 60 would be his upside in my mind. Okay, so Tyler Johnson, someone to look at now if he was left for dead in your league, as I'm sure he was in a lot of leagues. He was dropped right in the league that we're against each other in, and Matt picked him up shortly after. And I thought, oh, come on, Matt, you're dumb. But I mean, obviously it helped him last week. Okay, uh, a couple other guys on Tampa I wanted to mention. Somehow Vladislav Nemesnikov, even though he's on this great line with Johnson and Kucherov. By the way, Kucherov, he has five points in his last five games. No point even mentioning him anymore. We already talked about how elite he is. Nemesnikov's somehow pointless in those last five games, though. Should people still like be trying to stream a guy like Nemesnikov if he's playing with Kucherov on the top line and the top power play? Like he's in this great situation. We'll get to some other guys later in the episode who are in similar great situations, but somehow not producing. Like there's another couple of guys I wanted to mention on Tampa. Maybe you could rank them at the end. Like you got Alex Killorn, who's got three goals and three assists in his last five games. And he's been playing on a line with Druin and Boyle, I believe. And by the way, Speaking of Jonathan Drew, he's actually kind of on a cold streak. He only has two points in his last five games. So anyways, that's obviously a short span, and Drew still is on a 58-point pace, which is good. So maybe you could give your comments on Nemesnikov versus Killorn or, or none of the above, you know, as someone to stream right now on Tampa. Like, Nemesnikov in the great situation, Killorn the one doing well. Obviously, we've talked before, I think at the beginning of the year, Killorn had a really strong start and then totally disappeared, basically until now. Then also curious to get your thoughts on Drew I know you are a Drew owner. Are you concerned at the moment? So no, I'm not concerned about Duran at the moment. Anything close to 60-point pace from him is something I'm very happy with, especially given how his season began. As for Nemesnikov and Kalorn, you might remember, it wasn't so long ago, like maybe a month or five weeks or so, that I was really pumped about streaming Nemesnikov. He was my number one stream, and I was feeling so good about getting him. I think I cycled him in and out maybe two or three times in my lineup, but at this point, I don't find him a very interesting streaming option, even with those decent power play looks. He's got no points, a few shots. And I guess he beats guys on your watch list who aren't getting those looks and aren't putting up points because he's got at least that deployment going for him. But otherwise, I'm really not that into streaming him now until I see some numbers. I would prefer Kalorn from what he's doing or perhaps my stream currently, Adam Henrique, who has points in four straight, three goals, three assists, three power play points, and a shorthanded game winner. Wait, he's not on Tampa Bay. No, I was just talking about streaming options that interest me more than Vladislav Nemesnikov right now. I feel like Henrik could be available. He was available in first division 
of the Kukupful. So if he's available there, there's a good chance someone's lost patience with him in your league too. Okay, so then I guess I'll throw it right back at you. Then what if Kunitz was available right now? Henrik versus Kunitz as a short-term guy while he's playing with Crosby? That I'm not so sure because Henrik isn't taking a lot of shots either. And he's burned me so many times. I can't even believe I streamed him. I think I've streamed him and gotten literally nothing out of him four or five times prior this year. So I think I would try to go Kunitz as long as I know he's playing on that top line. Cool. Okay. So that's it for injuries for now. There's actually some injuries. I guess we're just kind of not going to get to Fabry. Oh no, we'll mention Fabry later. Nielsen and Cronwall both hurt on Detroit. Something to keep in mind. Uh, But okay, let's go to outjuries now. Happier news. Let's talk about the amazing return on Florida of Barkov and Huberto. Out of nowhere, I guess kind of not out of nowhere. We talked about on last week's episode how we heard they were skating. Just like that, though, like out for the year, then skating, then returning. Just like that, within a matter of a couple of weeks, they returned on Friday versus Anaheim. Great game for both of them, right? Huberto scored a goal, six shots. Barkov had the assist, like three shots for him, both on the top line, both on the top power play. I guess we got to ask now, like, what to expect from these guys moving forward? Should we expect at least like a 60-point pace from each? Like, I think that seems pretty reasonable based on what they did last year. I know, though, you did say last year that maybe they were performing a bit above, had a bit of luck, high shooting percentages, things like that. And I'll tell you the lines quickly. So Barkov, Huberdo, Yager, Trocek, Smith, Jokinen. Obviously sounds very familiar. That, those were the lines from last year for pretty much all of the season, except for when someone was injured. And that, of course, leaves Jonathan so kind of in the dark. He was down on line three with Bjugstad and a guy named Michael Scarbosa, who I didn't even know he was on Florida, but there you go. And Marshall only played 12 minutes and 43 seconds, zero shots on goal. So he's concerning. I guess I've thrown a lot of names at you, Brian, but curious to get your thoughts on this whole Florida situation and what people should expect moving forward. Well, I had no idea what to expect from Jonathan Huberto in his return to the lineup. You see guys who start their year three weeks late and they often need a game or two to catch up or three or four. But Huberto looked great right off the bat. And as for projecting how many points he's going to get, you said 60 points at least, which I agree with aside from the at least part. I don't know if I could get that excited about him. Remember when Jack Eichel returned? I wonder if the same thing's happening, except Eichel has kept up a 63-point pace this season. So I don't know if that's a good example for me to bring up or not. But going back to Huberto, with friendly percentages and all last year, he finished with 59 points in 76 games. I can't come up with much reason to expect more than that which comes out to a shade above a 60-point pace, but just a shade above that pace. So I'll put him right around there at 60, and I'll put Barkov in the same spot with a little more upside. As for Marcheseau, yeah, this is bad news for him. I'm also watching Yarmer Yager closely, who has zero points and six shots in his last four games without the return of Huberto and without the return of Barkov, for that matter. I would say he's entering snoozer territory, but I'm giving him a little bit longer of a lease on my rosters because of Huberto and Barkov's return. Also, I don't see a more sensible spot for him in the Florida lineup, aside from that first line right wing with those two. If you're carrying Marcheseau or Yager right now, one thing to keep in mind, if they are just barely hanging on to a roster spot in your lineup, Florida's heading into a five-day break. Their next game only happens on February 9th. So keep that in mind if you're in tight standings races and wondering whether or not to cut bait. Yeah, okay. So I feel like at this point, you kind of have to reset with Yarmir Yager, right? Like he was playing with Trocek, who was doing well, but he's playing with completely new line mates and he's had all season long pretty much. And he was doing well when Barkov was there before and doing well. So I think Yarmir Yager, don't drop him now. Like obviously if you have this long break and you need him in your lineup and you're not going to get any games from him, you know, you need someone to put up points for you. Now you're fighting for the playoffs. Maybe then you have to consider dropping him and just hoping that no one will pick him up. 
But I feel like if he's been dropped in your league, Adam's your watch list now because he did great things with Barkov and Huberto last year. So maybe he could do it again. And, you know, he's still the top power play. Marcheseau also, I feel like, reset. Forget about all the points he put up before because if he's going to be on the third line with Scarbosa, you know, that's not going to be good. He was getting power play time, actually, with Barkov and Huberto. So there is maybe some silver lining for Marcheseau there, but overall, not too interested in him. I'm not moving forward. Let's go to the next outjury in Arizona. Another guy who returned, I think, ahead of schedule. Max Domi came back on Thursday from his broken hand. He broke his hand in a fight. Brian, just first of all, can I just say ridiculous, right? A star player gets in a fight and breaks his hand. I had him in a league, just very frustrating. But okay, he's back now. But is he, like, he's back, but he doesn't seem back back. He, He has nothing in his first two games since returning. Not even a shot on goal. Yesterday, he was playing off the top power play on the line with McGinn and Burmistrov. So, you know, he's not getting that prime time with Hansel and Verbata. And yeah, on, on Arizona, that's the best you can get. And Domi can't even get that so far. Okay, we should assume, though, he's just getting eased back in and he'll be back with Hansel and Verbata when the Coyotes play next on next Thursday. They also, by the way, have a long break, but they will be coming back on Thursday. I'm curious to know what you think about Domi for the rest of the season. Like, keep in mind, he wasn't doing so amazing before he got injured. Around a 55-point pace, I think 50 to 55. So he's obviously good. He has a lot of upside in his career, but I'm curious what you think about him in the short term. In the short term, I have to expect he'll eventually work his way up to the top line. 13 minutes in his first game back, 13 and a half minutes the next. The number that you're looking for from him in the short and long term is 17. That's his average minutes per game this year before the injury. If he gets up to that number and is still playing off the first line, or if he's not up to that number in, say, another three or four games, then you can start to panic. I see both of those outcomes as incredibly unlikely, though. I don't think you'll have reason to panic. So just sit tight. It is funny, though, that this guy and the next one that we're about to talk about, Elon, they did not miss as much time as Jonathan Huberdeau, but they are getting eased so slowly into the lineup. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess there are different situations, right? LA, I think, is comfortably in the playoffs at this point. Correct me if I'm wrong. In Arizona, obviously, they, you know, it doesn't matter what they do. They just, if anything, like, they'd probably rather lose so that they could get a better chance at the top pick next year. But, you know, Florida, they need to win now if they want to make the playoffs. So, anyway, maybe that explains it. I don't know. Okay, let's go to that next guy because I didn't even say who it was. Tyler Toffoli, yes. He returned yesterday in LA's 1-0 win versus Philly. And then he played again today. So, Toffoli's officially back. Uh, yesterday he had one shot, 15 minutes of time on ice, no power play. But today he had three shots and he had some power play time in the five nothing loss to Washington. So maybe he's, you know, slowly getting eased in or maybe he's getting eased in a little more quickly than Max Domi. Uh, he played on a line with Jeff Carter and Tanner Pearson today, which is great. You know, Jeff Carter has been so good. Actually, I'll get to that in a sec. But I just keep in mind, just like a lot of these guys, very frustrating to have to think about the schedule so much at this time when you're fighting for your fantasy hockey life, trying to make the fantasy hockey playoffs or clinch a bye week or something. But LA also, they play next week, Tuesday and Thursday. And after that, they don't play again for a while. So if you have Tyler Toffoli in your IR, you might just want to leave him there. And, you know, let yourself have someone else on your roster for next week, maybe get more games. Anyway, that's my thought on Tyler Toffoli. Great that he's playing with Jeff Carter, and I assume he'll be back. We talked about him, actually, in the last couple of episodes, so maybe we don't need to get too deep into him. Someone I do want to get into is Marion Gabrick. He had a four-game point streak snapped yesterday, nothing again today. But he's playing on line one with the red-hot Andre Kopitar and Dustin Brown also, who's been taking a lot of shots recently. So I'd be curious to know what you think about Gabrick, if he's worth looking at in free agency. I actually streamed him for this weekend, thinking, oh, I could get this guy who's on this hot streak. And he did nothing this weekend, which is very frustrating. So I'm curious what you think about him. How does he 
compare to say a Chris Kunitz at this point playing with a star centerman and someone who at one point in his career was like a must add in fantasy hockey. Gabrick has had success with Kopitar, but he's also done a lot of nothing with Kopitar too. So I think it's a roll of the dice. If you're trying to rely on him to get you some points, you could do worse with other streams. I'd still prefer him to like Nemesnikov. I'm still going to hammer on Nemesnikov for a little while longer, even though I like the guy and I have liked him as a streaming option. It's just really dispiriting when somebody has great looks and has great opportunity and can do very little with it. And then we know him to fall back down the depth chart again soon. Marion Gabrick has been able to hold his spot in the LA depth chart for whenever he's healthy. And I think that's because there isn't really a glut of other options available to A, fill a top six role, or B, to fit Gabrick anywhere else in the lineup. If they have him, this is where he needs to be. You mentioned Dustin Brown. Elon Ispot started him for his two-point outing against Colorado, and that was one of two games in which he had 13 shots across them, back to just getting one shot on goal in his most recent game against Philly. Tyler Toffoli, yeah, we've covered. If you're really excited about him and you're just busting to get him out of your IR and you're going to drop somebody who's still reasonably good, just remember you're looking for like 55 points from Tyler Toffoli. You're not looking for 30 goals and 60 points. You're looking more at mid-20s goals and mid-50s points. And have you already lavished Jeff Carter with praise, or is that yet to come? I'm going to do it right now. Okay. Right. By the way, you, you're killing it with your spot starts. You got Dustin Brown for his great game, and then you dropped him and got... Adam Henrique for his great game. Look at you. Meanwhile, I'm floundering here. I picked up UC Jokinen for his nothing on Friday and then Gabrick for his nothing over the weekend. There's a reason why you're in tier one in the couple and I'm in tier two, obviously. But okay. Well, that's only because I convinced you to give me the sole tier one spot so we would not compete against each other. That's the reason. It's a roll of the dice. I've been wrong so many times. It's really nice though, isn't it? When you hit that bullseye. I know, because you just pick someone up for one game, all you need. But then it's kind of tough. Like, it's also good that you have the ability, and I guess this is kind of good fantasy advice. You know, you pick someone up for a spot start, and then they do well, like Dustin Brown did for you. You become tempted. Oh, maybe I should hold on to him. Well, what if he could keep doing this? But you have to remember, no, you picked him up for a spot start. You didn't expect him to do nothing, or you wouldn't have picked him up. But also, keep in mind, you know, you picked him up as a spot starter for a reason. Usually, it means you should drop him and pick up the next guy. Don't hope for lightning to strike twice. But okay, let's go and lavish Jeff Carter with some praise. Jeff frickin' Carter, three goals and 16 shots in his last two games before today's game. Today, LA got shut out and he only had a meager three shots on goal, which is still really good. But, you know, I feel like LA probably pretty tired at this point. So let's give them a break for today's game. But Jeff Carter, he's second in goals right now in the whole league behind only Sidney Crosby. He has 27 goals and 20 assists in 52 games. Crosby scored two yesterday, so he's up to 30. So Carter was like only one or two behind. Now he's three behind. I don't know. Crosby's amazing because Crosby also missed all of that time. He's never led the league in goals before, I don't think. So this would be really cool for him. Then you have Shifley, Pacioretty, Ovechkin, and Atkinson all next with 25. And that's not including today's games. I don't think Ovechkin scored though. So I think that's probably still the case. And I don't think that Pacioretty scored either because that was like a 0-0 game between Montreal and Edmonton going to the shootout. So yeah, like I said, Crosby with 30, Carter with 27, and Shifley, Pacioretty, Ovechkin, Atkinson with 25. Who do you think is going to win the Maurice Richard trophy this year, Brian? I assume it's going to be one of those guys. I'll narrow the field down to three and go Crosby, Carter, or Ovechkin as my top picks for the goal scoring title this year. I'll lean Crosby if he can stay healthy and if he plays out the rest of the season. If the Penguins are in really good shape for the playoffs, I wonder if he does take a rest. Well, it's not unreasonable to think that Ovechkin might also take a rest. Carter might be least likely 
of the three to get a little break towards the end of the season. So maybe that makes him a little bit of the favorite. I've been lauding him all year, by the way. He's so underappreciated for what he brings in terms of goal scoring. He was like a secret under the radar, except definitely should not have been goal scorer for me for the last few years in fantasy. This year, I think people are starting to catch on and uh, soon they'll overvalue him as he ages. But for now, what a great season he's having. Yeah, he's great. It'll be interesting to see next year who's getting drafted ahead between him and Andre Kopitar. Usually Kopitar is the guy you want on LA number one, then Carter goes later in the draft. Obviously, if he wins the Maurice Richard trophy, then that will probably change. By the way, fact checker Dustin in the chat room, thank you very much. Crosby did win the Maurice Richard trophy for most goals back in 2009-2010. He tied with Steven Stamkos. They both had 51 goals. So there you go. He's great. Ovechkin has won it, though, the last one, two, three, four seasons. So he's obviously going for five in a row, and I wouldn't count him out. If I had to bet right now, I'd still take Ovechkin. One more thing about LA before we move on to our advertisement. Jonathan Quick has been practicing with the team. He practiced on Thursday. He's traveling with the team, so he will be coming back soon. But Peter Budai's shutout yesterday brought him to a 923 save percentage. Like, yeah, then he got shelled today by Washington. Four goals against on 15 shots. And now he's down to 920 save percentage, which is a bummer. Very volatile stat, I guess, when you haven't played that many games when it's still, I guess, only halfway through the season. But, you know, forget about today's game. I feel like L.A., why did you play him again? He's tired. Give him a break. He just got shut out yesterday. Anyway, L.A. had won five games in a row, all with Budai in nets before today. And Budai had three shutouts in those five games. So he's just been so, so good lately. I wonder if there's any concern for quick owners that Budai won't just be relegated to a backup for the rest of the season. Like if he's been carrying LA and doing so well lately, wouldn't it be weird for him just to be like a backup goalie who barely plays like the usual LA backup goalies once quick returns? I don't know how weird it would be considering like he was sort of in the hockey wilderness before making it back to the NHL this year as the Kings like second attempt at finding somebody to be able to handle number one duties. He has been outstanding top 10 and even strength save percentage so far this year, top 10 in many Elks K metric, which sort of puts all context into one number and ranks everyone accordingly as current save percentage. Now that's nine twenty, it would still rank second best in Jonathan quicks career and is four points above Jonathan quicks career average. But let's also not forget that Budai's current save percentage is 15 points above his own career average and similarly high compared to his most recent NHL work in Montreal. And hey, some of his AHL work too. Budai does deserve a ton of credit and so do the Kings for playing a system that works for him. I think that's been a big part of his success. Jonathan Quick has never been my favorite goalie, but I still think he's better than Peter Budai though. And that's a sentence I never thought I'd be saying at any point in the last three years, but there it is. And so I expect him when he's healthy to come back and get first crack at that starter's job. Yeah, I guess he'll get first crack, but you know, it reminds me of back a couple of years ago in Ottawa. I remember Anderson was injured and Andrew Hammond came in and was doing so well. But Anderson came back, he had a game or two, you know, and he didn't play that well. And so they went back to Hammond because they were fighting for the playoffs. And then they ended up riding him until the playoffs actually started. They made the playoffs. And then a lot of people think they made a mistake, not switching back to Anderson because Hammond couldn't handle it in crunch time, even though he was handling in crunch time. Anyways, not enough of the Ottawa Senators history lesson. But, you know, if Quick comes back, obviously, and gets a shutout in his first game. And obviously, yeah, he'll be the starter again. But if Quick, you know, needs to be eased back in and maybe is a bit rusty, I wonder if Budai can sort of steal the job. Anyways, probably you're right. Quick will take the job and Budai will lose a lot of fantasy value. But... 
you know, just something to be a little bit concerned about or to, or to watch. Like, I don't think it's a guarantee, 100% thing that Jonathan Quick takes the job just because of how well Budai has played. Good for him. Anyways, great end for his career as, you know, it must be nearing the end soon. Hopefully he still has a few more good years in him, but he'll definitely be happy to look back on this amazing stroke of luck he had to even get this job considering he started the year in the minors. And, you know, Matthew's saying here in the chat room, yeah, it was all the Kings defense. We've known that for years. I- I'm sure he didn't say in that dismissive way like I just did. But, like, obviously, yeah, it helps to play behind this great Kings defense, but you know, Jeff Zatkoff had his chance and he totally blew it. So obviously you still need to be a somewhat good goalie to be able to do this job. And Budai clearly is, or at least he has been for the past little while. And if Budai keeps playing this well, Elon, he's not going to have to use SeatGeek anytime soon to get into the game because he'll still be on the roster. <laughs> wow. Yes. But for the rest of us, it's great to know that we have this fantastic app to be able to buy tickets to go see the great games. So yeah, let's take a minute to thank our sponsors for this episode. SeatGeek. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I found to buy hockey tickets. I can be anywhere. Modern technology. Fantastic. With just a few taps, I can instantly find seats for games like in this coming weekend. Playoff tickets are expensive. I'm sure if you went to the Super Bowl, you probably paid a fortune. I'm sure most of our listeners didn't go to that. Or or you never know. But you're supposed to be hockey fans, not football fans. But, you know, playoff tickets in hockey are also very expensive. And that's approaching. So it's important to be able to find the best value. And SeatGeek gives you that ability. They ranked all of the tickets by value. What's the price compared to what it normally costs for a similar seat? Really handy. Plus, SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. And if that's not enough for you, you can even get an additional $20 rebate from your first SeatGeek purchase just because you're a listener of Kevin Carlson. So in order to get that deal, just download the SeatGeek app or go to the website, enter the promo code KEEPING. That's, you know, you know how to spell that word, actually. Promo code KEEPING. Put that in the app when you buy your first ticket, and SeatGeek will send you a $20 check, U.S., as a rebate for that ticket purchase. So check it out, SeatGeek. Be a geek, get a seat for tickets on fleek. Go, you know, go to Seat Geek. And with that, we are through the injuries and outries. We're flying along, Brian. Before we get to hot streaks and cold streaks, gotta talk about the coaching change. Ken Hitchcock was fired from St. Louis. Mike Yeo takes over. I'm wondering if there's any fantasy impact here. The lines from yesterday's four to one loss to Pittsburgh were kind of like what you'd expect, what we've been seeing a lot. Though the lines were changing a lot with Hitchcock as the coach. So we'll see if that changes and there's more stability to these lines. But anyways, last game, they were going with Steen, Stasny, and Perron. And then the STL line as I guess the first line. So Tarasenko, Schwartz, and Latera. And then the top power play was how it should be. I think Steen, Schwartz, Stasny, Tarasenko, and Shattenkirk. Pretty standard. Not sure if this raises or lowers the value of any of these guys. I should also mention, by the way, Robbie Fabri is out for the season with a torn ACL. He had been snoozing already. Maybe it's not nice to pour salt in the wound of a guy who's now injured. But I got to say, he only had one assist in his last eight games before getting injured. So he ends the season with 29 points in 51 games, which is a 47-point pace, which is not bad, but not exactly fantasy relevant in most leagues. So, Brian, I guess before we talk more about Fabry, I wanted to ask you a fun thing about him and his draft class. What do you think about the fantasy impact of a new coach in St. Louis? I don't think it's huge because Mike Yo has been there for a lot of the season anyway. So I don't know that anything drastic is about to happen. They couldn't solve their goaltending problem to fix the team. So I guess they'd still decided they had to take some kind of action. And that was to let go of Hitchcock a few months ahead of schedule. I think what we can take from what we've seen so far is that Stasny and Steen have become the most oft-used forwards. And the other takeaway, I guess, is that maybe if St. Louis makes the playoffs, we'll see more minutes for Tarasenko than we did before. But it is good news for Alex Steen and Paul Stasny. Steen has actually been surprisingly good and steady since we 
coined him Stinky. He has seven goals and nine assists for 16 points in his last 15 games. That's above a point per game pace. He's in a good power play situation. He is still allergic to taking shots, though. Only 21 shots in those 15 games of doing so well. So he's actually scored on a third of the shots he's taken, which, of course, is unsustainable. It's harder to let him go with recent results. Like we were advocating sell high or sell while you can or just drop him. Of course, you wouldn't have dropped him if you held on to him long enough to reap the benefits of this run. But I still think if you own him, you should be making good use of this sell high window. He shoved it back open. It's going to slam shut again, especially if those shots don't return. I would trade him for any reliable 55-point guy and aim higher if you can, given he's been on 60-plus point paces for the last several seasons. And maybe you can frame his earlier struggles this year as just a mere blip and hope that nobody's noticed his shots on goal. This is all to say it's good news for Steen, but he's still not the 60-65-point Alex Steen of yore. And I'm very curious to see what happens in net now, if they can make any defensive shifts. Remember, Mike Yao was behind the bench in Minnesota for Devin Dubnik's first Sterling season as a member of the Wilds. And of course, that could be attributed to just a hot streak or an obscenely hot streak. And maybe Mike Yeo doesn't deserve a ton of credit for that. But maybe, I don't know, maybe he can work a defensive system. That's a funny thing to say about a guy who's replacing Ken Hitchcock, who is a total defensive system guy. Now Marty Broder and Ty Conklin are tasked with fixing whatever the heck is happening in the St. Louis crease. I'm very curious to see if they can. I saw some critiques that they've never played the modern game. Like they played a style that is being phased out in the NHL and doesn't work as well in today's NHL. And we know they both struggled during the last few years of their careers. Although I imagine with Marty Broder, age was as big a factor as any. Anyway, we'll see if anything gets fixed beyond I don't know I don't even know what this was intended to fix really you have bad goaltending and that's all that needs to be fixed so hopefully something happens the defense has changed the goalies are made better and St. Louis gets rolling again yeah I mean there was that stretch where they weren't scoring many goals but they seem to be doing better with that recently so yeah by the way you said that you think the sell high window on Steen will come like crashing down soon so you have to do it while you can like I mean he still is on the top power play with Tarasenko so I still think he will be having some fantasy value but like you said yeah if you could get like a 60 point guy for him then sure but I could see him getting like a 55 60 point pace himself moving forward like yeah obviously the high shooting percentage right now is a bit concerning but maybe he could just start shooting more he has been shooting more recently than he was before and that really cold run he was only taking like zero or one shots per game now it seems like he's been taking one or two and even there's been some three shot games so maybe the new coach who knows I'd say same with the whole Florida situation with Yager like Maybe we need to reset a little bit at this point and say, starting from a couple of weeks ago, how Steen does moving forward. You you don't agree? No, I'm like, he's got to show me instead of me just assume that's like, I get the whole reset button argument and I, I hear you like that was part of my thinking as well. I don't know. I guess I just didn't like the really early returns of his first games under Mike Yo and nothing really having changed. And again, like you're not going for a big downgrade here. If you can sell him for a 55 or even better 60 plus point guy by convincing somebody that he is a 65 plus point guy himself, that would be a good move. But if you're selling, yeah, if you're selling for a 50 point guy or someone who's going to struggle to hit 55, maybe you can wait a little longer just to make sure this isn't for real. But I'm pretty confident it's not. Okay, well, you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson, or if you're a patron, ask in the Facebook group. If you have a trade on the table, we'll let you know if you think it's worth it for Alex Steen. I mentioned Fabry being injured. 
you know, he was the type of player who does really well when he was with Tarasenko. He had good runs during the year, then he also really cold runs. And it makes sense when you're in the bottom six. Reminds me a lot of Nikolai Ehlers over in Winnipeg, who was doing nothing last year when he was in the bottom six. And as soon as he moved into the top six, he was doing well. And this year, he's been playing with great players all year, and he's been having an amazing season. And it's really fun, actually, to look back at the 2014 draft class. Because I remember at the beginning of the year, we talked about a bunch of the guys who seemed to have broken out at different points last season. We were trying to rank who would we like more. At this point, you've got Reinhardt, Dreisaitl, Ehlers, Larkin, Fabry, those were all guys we talked about and we ranked. The ranking seems easier now, right? Like I feel like Larkin and Fabry fall and then you just have to talk about Reinhardt, Dreisaitl, and Ehlers between those three. And I feel like I'd have Ehlers and Dreisaitl as the top two, then Reinhardt third. You can let me know if you disagree. But also I feel like all of these guys have now been usurped by a guy we didn't even mention when we were talking about these great 2014 draft picks, David Pasternak. Right, he's the one who's had the really amazing season. Also, William Nylander, he had a hat trick yesterday. That was a really good draft crop back in 2014. I wonder if Florida would still take Aaron Ekblad first overall if they had a redo right now. Well, I don't know if that's fair to Aaron Ekblad because maybe they weren't looking for offense. If they went for a top offensive forward, perhaps we could say that. And remember, Pasternak missed 30 games last year, so maybe that's why we omitted him from those thoughts. Then I would rank them the same though. I'd go Ehlers, then Drysidle. And then, uh, yeah, you'd have to have Pasternak and Nylander in the same conversation as those two. And then a little a little break between Larkin and Fabry, at least for now. I think they're both good NHL players. Just has not been their year. And especially with Fabry playing on the third line and no power play lately, that's been bad news for him. His departure from the lineup makes guys like Stasny and Steen even further entrenched in that top six and another name that might not have to go spend more time in the bottom six is David Perron who is sticking in that top six right now and could easily withstand a challenge from who is it Matt Agostino who's been called up I don't know about that there's also still Neil Yakupov who every once in a while gets to play with the big boys but I don't know if he's too much of a concern it's Kenneth Agostino who's gotten the call up Okay, few. Now, now we know. Everyone, quick, Brian, tell us everything you know about. Ken- no, I'm just kidding. We're, we're not going to get into Kenneth Agostino today. Maybe if he scores a hat trick next week, we'll bring him up on the next show. Uh, let's go now to some hot streaks and cold streaks to end the program. We got to start on Carolina. New hot and cold players. I feel like these guys take turns. Some are hot, some are cold all the time. I guess that's what happens when you're rolling with three decent lines. Sebastian Ajo is the one who's really caught a lot of people's attention lately. He had that amazing three-goal, one-assist game versus Philly on Tuesday. Then he scored again versus Edmonton on Friday. Nothing yesterday. I'm sure a lot of people picked him up for that spot. Or maybe not for a Saturday because they already had a full lineup. Anyways, he's up to 31 points in 51 games as a rookie. That's a 50-point pace. Not a bad rookie season at all if he can keep that up. He actually has 10 points in 14 games over the last month. So Sebastian Ajo, you know, a lot of people talked about at the start of the year as someone who would have value, and he's proven it. At least lately, he's looking like a guy that is now fantasy relevant and should be owned in all leagues. You can let me know if you disagree. In the last game, he was on the line with Elias Lindholm and Jordan Stahl. And both of them are also doing really well. Lindholm had two assists yesterday. That brings him to seven assists in his last six games. He just came back from an injury somewhat recently. He's been doing really well since then. Jordan Stahl, though, actually, he's up to 14 points in his last 14 games. Brian, do you remember last year when he went on this amazing run for like a month where he was getting points in almost every game? It looks like it's happening again. So this line of Ajo, Lindholm, and Stahl looking really good. I'd be curious to know how you would compare any of these guys, because I could see all of them potentially being free agents in the various leagues of our listeners. And I wonder how you would compare them to each other and also to maybe the the Gabriks and the Kunitzes of the world. Okay, first I'll try to compare them to each other, except we've talked about Carolina. We've called it the place where goal scoring 
goes to die. And they are a middle of the pack team in terms of raw goals scored. But if you look at their expected goals for and shot attempt rates and how they drive play, you could actually make an argument that they're a top five offensive team in the East. Not an airtight argument, but an argument nonetheless. Sebastian Ajo is going to be a pretty good player and his two and a half shots per game and recent scoring are super nice. But I'm not sold on this run being any more sustainable than the ones we've seen over the last couple of years from guys like Jordan Stahl, Tara Vinen, Stemniak, Lindholm, even Victor Rask. They've all had their turns and then they've all gone quiet. I think short-term Aho and Stahl are great until they're not, which is to say go ahead and add them so long as you only expect them to be a temporary solution and not giving up any one of real substance to add them onto your roster I think if you ask me of the whole group that you mentioned, Elon, I like Stahl and Aho the most because they're shooting the most out of that group. And Jordan Stahl is also leading Carolina forwards in minutes over the last month. Lindholm is right behind him. But overall, it's kind of like you're asking me to choose between Pepsi or Coke. Like maybe I can taste the difference. Does it even matter? They'll both do the job. I'll take whatever's available if cola is what I'm in the mood for. That was a weak (laughs) analogy. I like it. Did you prepare that beforehand or did you just come up with that now? <laughs> I did, but it was a very fluid process. Okay. I think I'll take Elias Lindholm of the three and I would maybe take him over a guy like Chris Kunitz. Uh, I don't know. It's tough. Obviously, if your league counts hits, we forget about it. But I, I like Elias Lindholm. You know, he goes on these good runs. I'm curious to see how long Jordan Stahl will keep this up. I still remember, Brian, you were like the only one. Or actually, Dauber, I think. Agree- no, Dauber said that he thought that Jordan Stahl could keep it up. I remember there was maybe a disagreement there. But you said, no, Jordan Stahl's not going to keep this up. Whoever listened to you last year and sold high on him, like he did nothing in the fantasy hockey playoffs. You looked like a real genius. So we'll see if the whole situation will repeat itself again this year. But okay, so you've got this good line on Carolina, which means you have all the other lines with players who we used to be talking about as being really valuable. Like there's the line of Victor Rask, Tara Vinen, and Brock McGinn. And then you have a line of Skinner, Stempniak, and Derek Ryan. So, you know, at one point, Skinner and Rask were the two guys in Carolina that people were the most excited about. Skinner has two points in his last three games, which is great, but he had a six-game pointless streak before that. Victor Rask has slowed down a lot. Toivo Teravainen actually has been doing okay lately. He has four points in his last four games, was kind of cold before that. So it's kind of annoying that you have so many good players on Carolina and it's hard to rely on any one of them to stay hot for, you know, a solid, consistent amount of time. You'd probably hate me, right? If I asked you to rank like Skinner, Rask, Teravainen, Aho, Lindholm, and Stahl. I would, especially after my little cola comparison there. Like all these guys... Can you think of more cola types? RC cola, PC cola. I'm sure there's some other types in the States that we don't get here in Canada. I feel like the cola market is pretty saturated. And so is the market for Hurricanes forwards in fantasy. I think uh, the only thing I want to mention, like I don't want to rank them all, but I do want to mention that Jeff Skinner has been pretty cold lately. Just two points in his last nine amongst all these other successful Hurricanes forwards. Outside of back-to-back three-point efforts three weeks ago, he had six points over two games. He's done very little of anything since mid-December now. And even more upsetting, only six shots in his last four games. I think those shots will come back, though. Again, he's a Carolina Hurricane. We'll see those ups and downs, those ebbs and flows of relevance. He's probably the one guy that you want to hang on to your roster no matter what. I guess, yeah. I liked him better when he was playing with Victor Rask. Now he's with Lee Stempniak and Derek Ryan, which I think 
It's kind of like the third line. It's hard to say, I guess, either that or the Rask, Teravinen, and McGinn line. Who knows? Can't even rank these lines. Anyways, let's go to another team. Let's go to Ottawa. Another hot streak here. Brian, you CC'd me on a comment in the Facebook group saying, Elon, we have to talk about Derek Brassard and how he's on fire lately. And yeah, he's been pretty good. He has a goal and six assists in his last nine games. Definitely showing signs of life on fire. I don't know. I guess you could answer. He had no points yesterday, obviously, in Ottawa's 4-0 shutout loss versus Buffalo. But he had eight shots on goal, which is amazing, especially for a guy who's not really known for taking so, so many shots. Overall, like, still not a great season for Derek Broussard. Not what people were hoping for in exchange for Mika Sabanajad, right? Like, people thought that Ottawa won that trade, at least in the short term, and just in a few years, obviously, Zabanjad would be more valuable. But Zabanjad, I guess, has been better so far this year. Maybe that's arguable. He's been injured also for a lot of it. But yeah, Broussard, 27 points in 50 games overall. That's a 44-point pace. But like I said, six points this last nine. We'll see if he'll be able to keep it up. Yesterday, he was playing on a line with Mark Stone and Zach Smith. So if you're playing with Mark Stone, that should be really good. Like, he's on a 65-point pace himself. He's doing exactly what we hoped he would do. And I guess I'll ask you for your thoughts on Broussard. Do you think that he's more of the 44-point pace guy or more like what he's been doing lately? I guess six points in the last nine games is around a 60-65 point pace. Well, we know the narrative on Broussard going into the season was the Sens acquired him so that he could take the lead in the Senators' power play, which has struggled for the last couple of years. And it turns out he wasn't the guy to be able to fix those problems. He's been really snake-bitten on the power play, shooting just 5% when normally he'd be shooting in the mid to high teens. So it's not to say that he hasn't done so well on the power play. It's just not working out for him necessarily. Uh, So when I started to see him racking up points, imagine my surprise when he's still not getting any of them on the power play. He has the worst power play points per 60 of any of the Sens' five power play regular forwards, but he's still fifth amongst forwards at even strength in Ottawa. It's unfortunate for him that, you know, he is struggling on the power play, and when that production goes missing, he's actually putting up some of his best shot rates of his career at even strength, but the points still aren't coming that way until this recent surge, again, at even strength. I can tell you this season has been one of the more even campaigns of the last few years from him fewer lows in offensive numbers but also fewer highs which is why this little run has been exciting and encouraging I guess you know I'm saying a whole lot of stuff about power play and even strength I'm not really sure what my conclusion is here I think you can ride him for now I don't think this is likely the return of a 60 point player but he is better than his 27 points in 50 games would suggest yeah, and definitely playing at even strength with Mark Stone, who, like I said, he has 39 points in 49 games, which, like I said, is a 65-point pace. So he's really good. And Broussard should be better. I, I I would say, just like kind of what you're saying, somewhere in between, right? He's on a 44-point pace right now. Maybe he'll end with like a 50 to 55-point pace moving forward. So we'll see. Derek Broussard, yes, Brian, I have noticed. He's available to us if we want in the league that we're in together. He's in free agency. So let me know if you think we should drop someone for him. I'll bring up someone in the cold streak section that I think we definitely need Need to be dropping soon so we could ask you your opinion on him versus Derek Broussard but okay we're still on hot streaks right now I want to mention Pecorine on another great run just like at the start of the season he's doing so well that Nashville decided ah let's just send Saros down for a bit so he could get some games we don't need him on the big club because we're just gonna play Rene all the time I doubt that they did it so that Mazanic could get some games but yeah so Rene had that one nothing loss versus Detroit yesterday he stopped 18 out of 19 shots he shut out Edmonton on Thursday Rene's up to now a 9.22 save percentage on the season, which is definitely higher than I would have expected going into the year based on what he had been doing the last couple of years. I don't actually really have a question to ask you. But like, I don't know if people would like sell high or whatever on Rene. Like he's clearly the starter, even when Saros was doing so well. And I thought 
probably they should be giving Saros more games. Nashville clearly stood by Rene as their number one goalie and gave him at least two of every three games. Now it's looking like he's getting even more. So good. Good for him. Pekka Rene. Still good. I wonder if he'll be able to keep it up for the whole rest of the season into the playoffs. I guess the angle I'll take on this is that you shouldn't read too much into UC Saros getting sent down. Pekka Rene has been great. I don't think he's erased all questions that he is the absolute best Predators goaltender, the only one capable of seeing starts on a regular basis. I think a couple subpar outings from Saros finally gave the Preds some excuse to send him down, get him some steady games, work on his game there. Saros had played just nine times in late November, and for your blue chip goaltending prospect, that's just not enough, even with some NHL success peppered in there. The Predators have a bye week upcoming also, so that also makes this a very sensible move. I don't see it as a huge vote of confidence in Rene, although his play recently certainly merits at least a temporary vote of confidence. I see it more as just a way to get Saros some more game action. Brian, can I just say right now, I hate these bye weeks so much. I feel like they didn't bother me that much before because I didn't really have to deal with them. But all of a sudden, my fantasy teams are getting hit with them. This sucks. I... You brought up a really good idea for a rule for next year if this is going to keep happening. You should be allowed to put your player in the IR if he's on a bye week. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think in the cupful, that's something we need to consider for next year. A lot of people are really getting burned, even into our fantasy hockey playoffs for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fan Tracks League, people, a league that people have been fighting so hard to get to the playoffs for. Detroit is only going to play one game in the first week. I think Winnipeg also, Minnesota also. Like, it's so frustrating. Like, these bye weeks. I think that something needs to be done about them when we're designing our fantasy leagues for next year. Maybe we'll do an episode over the summer like we usually do talk about how to design the best fantasy league. And we definitely at this point need to start taking these bye weeks into account because just, ah, they're killer. Anyway, okay, more hot streaks. Let's go to Columbus. We've talked about a lot of Columbus players kind of slowing down lately, but there's a few perking up again. Alex Wenberg has been on a tear. He has eight points in his last six games. He had only two assists in the nine games before that. So I guess he's up and down, but he's definitely up right now. Is it sell high time or is he back to his earlier self? Just two of those points coming on the power play recently, which I, you know, I don't know if that's a good sign or not to think that he is back to like being a 70 point pace guy, or at least tricking someone into thinking he could be a 70 point pace guy for an entire season. Although we have been tricked before by other Columbus Blue Jackets. It's so annoying. Every time I talk about unsustainable production from Columbus Blue Jackets, I always have Nick Foligno just staring me in the face who I just insisted all season long that he wasn't going to break 70 points. And then he did. Okay. Back to Wenberg. Eh, I don't know. I think this is a good chance for you to sell high on this recent run. Remember he's gone cold for a while before this, the power play is still not clicking to the extent that it was earlier. It is refreshing to see him get a lot of points, even strength. Not that that's been a particular issue for him through the year. He has 24 even strength points now on the season in 51 games. And of course, those power play tootles make him look really attractive. If you can make him look really attractive as trade bait and get a 65 plus player back for him, then I say go for it. I don't know. I don't know, Brian. Like, Dave actually brought up in that thread I was talking about on Facebook of the best free agent pickups. Wenberg was another guy I think he had on the list. Can't believe I didn't pick up Wenberg when I had the chance. Damn. You know, top line, top power play. Yeah, he could go cold for a bit, but I think he could also go hot for a bit. He's in a great situation. You know, before he was doing so well, you know, we used to talk about him and as a really good player who was probably underrated and that had a lot of upside. Obviously now he's like overshooting what you expected. That's why you're sort of going the other way. But he's a good player in a great situation. I guess kind of like you could sell high. Who was the other guy we were just talking about that you said sell? Oh, Alex Steen. 
Who do you like between Steen and Wenberg? That's a whole discussion. But I feel like with both of them, they could still do well. And I'd rather have Wenberg than Steen. I'm starting to wonder now if I, I have Alex Steen, if I would trade him for Alex Wenberg. I think I would. I think I would prefer Wenberg over Steen. Remember what we said about Wenberg all season long, and I didn't think I should reiterate the whole thing, but is that all his numbers look perfectly sustainable at even strength. It's the power play stuff that didn't look sustainable. And sure enough, it wasn't. So now we have him, I don't know, at like a 40 point pace, even strength wise. And you can hope for like 10 more on the power play to come over the course of the rest of the season. I think I might be being generous there, maybe a little stingy with his even strength production. So to me, that adds up to like a 55 point player. I can understand why that would sound really low. And I'm even questioning myself as I say it. However, Elon, when you say like he was such a great free agent pickup, yes, he was. Will he continue to be worth as much on your roster from here on in is the more important question. Well, sure. But obviously top line and top power play goes a long way to making me want to stick with someone. Steen is someone who was bouncing around the lineup, as we recall. He's still not playing with Tarasenko. Wenberg's playing with the best players in Columbus. And you know what? That doesn't include, on the power play at least, Zach Wierenski, because it looks like he's been bumped. Like I mentioned before, very frustrating as a hashtag Team Wierenski guy. I'm already a Team Latang guy. I'm losing all of my power play guys right now. They're all getting bumped to the second power play right before the fantasy playoffs. But yeah, Seth Jones has been so good lately. He has seven points in his last six games, 22 shots in that span. So Jones helping you in a lot of categories. He's getting the most time on ice on the team. Like I said, now he's been on the top power play. I remember earlier in the season, Brian, we said that Seth Jones didn't have much value with Wierenski's emergence. I'm pretty sure that we said that you could even drop Seth Jones at this point. Maybe we're comparing him to some other players. We were clearly wrong, or at least at this point. Who would you rather have between the two at this point of the year, between Jones and Wierenski, if you had to choose only one? Man, this is a really hard question. We've had a lot of questions on the Facebook group about Wierenski lately. A lot of people concerned about his production, wondering exactly how to value him as like the 50-plus point demon that he was to start the year to now the 40-point demon that he's been recently. And maybe Seth Jones is a good way to sort of ground yourself and understand what Wierenski could be worth to you. For what it's worth, Seth Jones is out pointing and out shooting Wierenski over the last month, even before seeing that top power play time. On the whole, I see them as pretty even, but we're at the point where I prefer the guy who is manning that top power play unit. Wierenski is now down to a 49-point pace on the season, and that counts his torrid start. He's scored more like a 40-point player since December, though. And so Jones getting that power play time, maybe that's a consequence of Wierenski not being able to keep up his power play production. Although, again, I'm not sure anyone could have with the way things were going and how well they were going. But 40-point pace, not good enough for a power play quarterback in today's NHL, unless you're Nick Letty. So for that reason, I think you look to whoever is on that top unit. Jones is there for now. I'm curious to see if he lasts there a few more games in a row. Man, Brian, the chat room is blowing up with questions. The questions are pouring in now that we've mentioned Seth Jones. Chris asked, same question, dynasty format. So we were asking Jones versus Wierenski for the rest of this year. And you said Jones, since he's on the top power play in dynasty, you know, for a defenseman you're going to have for years to come, they're both really young. I'd be curious to get your thoughts there. Then we have Wierenski versus Ristolainen. Then we have Letty versus Jones. So many questions. I guess probably you don't want to rank all of these guys. But overall, I guess I will say 
I think Ristolainen is someone that's better than Zakwarenski in a keeper league because he is more of a multi-cat guy. And he's also on the top power play and on a team with like a lot of weapons. Like hopefully as Buffalo matures and Jack Eichel becomes even better, I think that helps Ristolainen. So I would take him above Zakwarenski and I guess over Seth Jones. I don't know about Wierenski versus Jones though. I was so excited about Wierenski earlier in the year. We have to keep in mind, this is his rookie season. You know, Seth Jones is a bit more mature. Wierenski is going to have his ups and downs. We just talked about a couple episodes ago how Yarmer Yager once said that it's hard for a rookie to adjust to being in the NHL and playing all these games. So I wouldn't be too down about Wierenski. I think I'd still have him over jones in like a dynasty league but maybe for the rest of this year you're right that maybe you have to go jones and then jade is asking about letty versus jones uh stick with letty because you know he's for sure going to be the top power play defenseman on the islanders no one is going to be bumping him while Wierenski could easily take that spot from jones any day yeah i agree exactly with what you said uh, Wierenski versus ristolainen is a matter of upside and points if that's more important to you, the offense or the peripherals that ristolainen can provide with maybe getting, I don't know, five points less than Morensky over the course of a season. I might lean Ristolainen just based on how unimpressive wierenski has been lately. I don't know if that's unfair. I still think Wierenski does have upside of being a 45-plus point defenseman for years to come. And then, yeah, between Letty and Jones, I'll take Letty as well because we know he's going to stick on that top unit in Long Island, whereas Jones might just be there temporarily. Okay, yeah, anyways... Guys, chat room, we have, a, we have a show prepared here. But obviously, yeah, these are important questions that we need answered. So, yeah, thanks, obviously, for chiming in and keeping this show lively and keeping Brian and I on our feet. Now you know that it's not only that we're preparing. We're answering these things on the fly. By the way, that's what patron casts are like. So if you want to become a patron of Keeping Carlson, keepingcarlson.com slash patron, you could donate just $5 a month to the show and get great perks like joining our patron-only Facebook group and having access to our monthly patron casts where Brian and I get peppered with questions just like these. And we have a lot of fun tackling each and every one of them with the patrons in the the chat room right there we go i just cut out our our patron mention from the end of the show put it right in here why not mix things up okay we're still on columbus i want to talk about a guy who's been letting us down lately and that's sergey bobrovsky he's been really bad lately specifically in the last four games he's got four straight games of letting in four goals now including yesterday's 5-1 loss to new jersey i'm sure a lot of people thought bob was a sure thing start against the lowly devils but no your adam henrique spot start was great and probably that had to do with bobrovsky not being so great is he just in a rough patch right now or do we still expect him to bounce back to being as good as he was at the beginning of the year? Kind of like a Zach Wierenski situation right now for Bobrovsky. At least in Bobrovsky's case, there's not someone nipping at his heels like with Wierenski. Like Eunice Corposalo hasn't been much better in the games he's gotten. So at least he's not posing as much of a threat. Like remember last year, Corposalo was stealing starts from Bobrovsky. I think Bobrovsky still is the main guy. and I'm not afraid of him losing starts yet, but I'm just curious to know if you think this is a short-term thing or maybe he's going to go back to being the more shaky Bobrovsky from last year instead of the super solid, reliable Bobrovsky from this year. I'll go with Rough Patch. We know him as a guy who struggled with consistency in his career. And hey, we'd actually given up on him being someone who could perform well before December. Uh, Yeah, but this is just the stuff that happens in a season. Same goes for his hot streaks, right? He still appears to be an above league average goalie on the whole. So yeah, don't get too concerned. And like you said, there's nobody nipping at his heels. He'll be okay. Okay, next hot streak, Brian. Last week, you called him Patrick Meh or Lowe after his four-goal game, but he's still producing, even though you dismissed him so quickly. Two assists yesterday. He's now riding a six-game point streak, which started with the four-goal game, but he's got three goals and six assists in the five games after that, taking a lot of shots over the past while as well, just like he used to do over his career. He's still on a line with Couture and Bodker, and he's still on the top power play. Is he still Meh? 
I want to point out that I said in last week's episode that I disagreed with you. And I said, no, I think he's like a solid guy and you should grab him if he's available in free agency. Do you still disagree with me? Or now are you coming to the correct side and saying that he's not Patrick Merlot, he's Patrick Marlowe and he's worthy of owning in fantasy right now while he's on the second line with Couture and on the top power play. Like, yeah, he was meh when he was in the bottom six, like he was for a lot of the season, but right now he's on fire. Why are you pausing between meh and Erlow? Like, that's the whole point. You can say it very fluidly. Patrick Merlow. Oh, sorry. I'll work on that. Well, I'm not going to have to say it anymore because it's not real. Yeah, he's definitely been a little less meh lately. Four or more shots in five of his last six games. Everything's going right for him, and that's great. He's also doing more for himself. In the six games prior to this run, he had just eight shots total. So Marlowe's shooting is good. And to be fair, his even strength shot rates are the best they've been in the last three years. His power play shot rates, mind you, are way down. But yeah, I think at least in the short term, you can upgrade him from Marlowe to Marlowe. Wow, I like it. All right, next, how about a blast from the past here? Someone that Brian loved so much last year, well past his expiry date, but maybe you just saw this coming all that time. Cody Franzen's doing things on Buffalo. We were just talking about Rasmus Ristolainen, but Franzen actually has two goals and four assists in his last seven games, six points in seven games. That's pretty good for a defenseman. That's really good. I'm curious to know if you think he's worth a flyer, especially with Buffalo playing five games next week. He had been doing nothing before. He did nothing for pretty much all of last season. But Cody Franzen, like, it seems to be the second most used defenseman in Buffalo, which wasn't worth a whole lot for, you know, this long stretch, but finally doing something now, is this just an aberration or is there something to it? I know you used to love Cody Franson when he got traded from the Leafs, or I guess we went to Nashville first, right? Who even remembers? Who cares? I guess now we care. Yeah. What did I say over a year and a half ago? I was just playing the long game. It was all leading up to this moment. And you mentioned this five game week thing. And I'm curious to know how effective these really are. One day I'd like to read about or crunch the numbers myself to see if it really helps to play this many games in a week. We've given our theories on the show before about quality of performance versus quantity of performance when a team is playing so often in a short period of time. Uh, But getting back to Franzen, six points in seven games, that represents 40% of his total offensive output this season. And I haven't seen anything else about him change, though he did see a season-high 24 minutes and 57 seconds of ice during Thursday's matchup against the Rangers. So that's something... For me, it is not enough to get excited about this. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't get too excited about France if I had to bring him up because I'm sure a lot of people are. And that's part of the show is you bring up someone who is doing well and then we tell you whether or not you should add him. I'd say look elsewhere, but, you know, tweet at us. Let us know who are the other available defensemen. Obviously, it's all relative to who you're comparing him with. And yeah, so since Buffalo has this five game week, I guess you could look at some other guys. I wanted to mention Sam Reinhardt, who scored yesterday, but only had two goals and two assists in his last 10 games before that. So he, you know, I was so excited about him, right? Like I held on to him while he was pretty slow all the way at the beginning of the year until Eichel came back because I thought Eichel was going to be the shot of adrenaline that Reinhardt would need to be like a 60-point guy. He's been playing with Eichel, but, you know, he's been more like a 50-point guy. And I'm talking about Reinhardt here. Eichel, he's, you know, been good for sure. He had two assists yesterday. That brings him to 23 points in 30 games. That's a 63-point pace. Great, actually, sure. But not like the superstar amazing that you need to have his line mate. Like not Sidney Crosby good. So you were right. I remember when Eichel came back, I totally oversold how big a deal it was. He's doing just as we probably should have expected him to do. And his line mates are probably doing just what we would expect them to do. So I think everything is kind of right in Buffalo. I don't think that I would expect anything more from Reinhardt moving forward. And so just wanted to make sure that's out there that, you know, my earlier enthusiasm for him as a potential 60 point guy, that that's gone now. 
And reasonably so. He's been somewhat inconsistent. He's often been a half-point-per-game guy with little runs here and there to help bump him up above a half-point-per-game on the season. But since Eichel came back, it's worth pointing out, he's been a reasonably sustainable 55-point pace guy since Eichel's return to the lineup and since they've been playing together. So that's worth something. Yeah, for sure. Like, But a lot of that I remember, there was a really good run where I was feeling so good about Sam Reinhardt. Recently, not as good. Hey, he scored yesterday, like I said, so maybe that's the start of another good run. We'll see if this five-game week brings out a lot from him or if it just tires him out. And I guess I'll also mention Leonard had that 4 nothing shutout versus Ottawa yesterday, and he's got a low-key 9.23 save percentage on the season. I was just lauding Pekarine for having, I think, the exact same save percentage. No one really talks about Robin Leonard. Can we confidently say that he's an above-average goalie in the NHL at this point? Like, maybe not an above-average fantasy owned, just because Buffalo maybe doesn't win a lot of games. But Leonard finally in a, a full season without getting injured too much, doing really well. Yeah, I'm not there yet. I can't confidently say that he's an above-average goalie, but I am closer to feeling comfortable in thinking of him as a league-average goalie, which is a step up from where he was before this season. He's middle of the pack in most ways to me. Huh. I wonder if that will change as time goes on. You know, this is, like I said, kind of his first year of actually playing a full season as a starting goalie because he was injured last year. So I'll be curious to see how Leonard's career looks going forward. Hopefully he could just stay healthy and we'll see if he ends the year at this 923 save percentage and how he'll do next year. Looking good. And I still think Buffalo should be a good team in a couple of years. A lot of young talent there. So we'll see. Let's go to some cold streaks. Go spare. Not only on a cold streak, he's on a scratch streak. He's been scratched for two games in a row, and it looks like he's going to be scratched tomorrow versus St. Louis. What is Philly doing? This is Shane Goss' spare. He's our, he's our favorite. But, you know, I guess they could have used his talents yesterday. I would have thought when they lost one nothing to LA yesterday, maybe the coach would have thought, hmm, maybe if we had more offense, maybe we should bring Ghost Bear back. But no, maybe they're just happy with the fact that they didn't let in a goal in regulation. Maybe the reason why he's being benched is more because he's not playing well defensively. Whatever the reason, not great for his fantasy owners, obviously. You can't put him in IR when he's getting healthy scratch. So it's literally burning a spot on your roster. Like, yeah, he's definitely been a fantasy bust this year. Even in the games he does play, he only has 21 points in 48 games, which is a 36-point pace, which is definitely not what people drafted for. That's usually the pace of a free agent defenseman or a fringe guy who you sometimes add or drop. That reminds me of, like, a Matthias Ekholm-type numbers, you know? Can people drop Ghost Bear at this point? Like, in a dynasty league, I'm already cons- I would have been concerned about him going into the year just because Provorov has all this upside. But now Provorov, just in a one-year league, Provorov's getting more time on ice than Ghost Bear. Mark Strait has been on the top power play for these games with Ghost Bear being out. I know you're going to say that Ghost Bear doesn't deserve this and he's been such a good player and they're so dumb for benching him. But, you know, they are benching him. And even when they're not, he's not producing much fantasy value. He doesn't produce any peripherals for you, really. Like, not really a hits and blocks guy. So I'm curious to know if you still need to hold on to him in a one-year league. Well, if you know what I'm going to say, then I guess we can just move on. Well, you're going to say that about why Philly's dumb, but I wanted to know as a fantasy owner, what do you do if you own Ghost Bear? Like, you don't own Ghost Bear, so you have the luxury of just being like, oh, hold on, he'll be fine. But at the end of the day, he's on a 36-point pace when he plays and he's getting benched other days. I'm sure the Ghost Bear owners need to know, can I drop him for like a Seth Jones? You know, we had all those questions when we were talking about Seth Jones, about all these different defensemen. Do you drop Ghost Bear for Seth Jones at this point? Or do you hold on and hope that he could bring this magic back from like last year when he was a 60-plus point guy? Yeah, it's really tempting to drop him. And I understand that. I also want to say, even though you said it for me, Elon, he is the best offensive D-man on Philly and one of their better defensive guys as well, in part because of that offense. It's bizarre to be dressing guys like Andrew McDonald and Nick Schultz in favor of him. I wonder if this is 
part of Hackstall's last stand behind the bench there. I expect a bounce back from Ghost Bear, but I'm now wondering if we need to see a coaching change to hashtag free ghost. In the meantime, if he's on your roster, I don't know what to tell you. If you can afford to hang on a little longer and then a little longer and a little longer, then maybe go ahead and do that if it's not hurting you too much. If you're in a tight battle for the playoffs, you might not have a choice. So this is a totally context-dependent move. Just accept the risk that he can get back up to a much better pace than he's shown us so far this year if things start to break better for him. Yeah, it's tough. It's a very tough situation. I would be very tempted if a guy like Seth Jones was available. Obviously, if you're in a deeper league, you kind of have to hold on to Ghost Bear because I don't know if I'm dropping him for like uh, Matthias Ekholm. But, you know, in a shallower league, you have to start wondering if it's really worth holding on. Maybe the coach will get fired and everything will change. I know that's what a lot of people are hanging their hats on as Ghost Bear owners, hoping that maybe coaching change will get him back on the top power play where... As Brian says, he belongs. I think so. He was so great there last year. Anyways, by the way, on Philly, Neuverth got his second straight start yesterday versus LA because he played well in the 3-1 win versus Montreal on Thursday. He also beat Toronto 2-1 last week in the last game he played. So it's three straight good games of only letting in one goal for Mikhail Neuverth. I assume he'll play Monday in St. Louis. I think that's actually been confirmed. Brian, I wonder now, like, I don't know, this Mason Neuver thing, we talk about it every week. Let's not even get into it. But I just wanted to point out as a news item for our listeners, right now, Neuver is the one that's being seen as the starter, clearly, in Philly. We saw this happen last year, you know, as the playoffs happened, like the real playoffs, not the fantasy playoffs, that Neuver took the job. I wonder if it's happening again. He didn't do that great after coming back from his injury, but maybe that was just rustiness at play. And now that he's got his game going, like Neuverth, we saw last year, could be a really good going. And, you know, he's had a pretty decent career overall. So I would be very concerned as a Mason owner right now, but who knows, maybe next week it'll be totally flipped like it always is. I wonder if you stitch together all our conversations about Neuverth and Mason. One, how many times we'd be repeating ourselves and two, how long the whole thing would be all together. Uh, there's nothing I can possibly say about them that I haven't before. And I feel like anyone listening at this point has at least heard us talk about them once. So I'm just going to, I want to, I want to move on. Let's move on. I am just going to say, I am regretting Brian. We could have dropped Mason for Neuverth in our, in our joint league. Now someone else picked up Neuverth. I wonder if we should have done that anyway. I don't think it's, I don't think that's regrettable. We'll see. We'll see. All right, let's go to another cold streak here. Not a snoozer yet, but we have a Minnesota player on a cold streak, and that's kind of rare, right? Like, we have talked about Zach Parisi being on some cold streaks, but, you know, that's because we hold him to such a high standard that even when he's only doing okay, we call it a cold streak. But Charlie Coyle is definitely cold right now. He only has one assist in his last six games. He got bumped from the top power play line with Stahl and Parisi, and yesterday he was also bumped from the actual line he was on, and he was playing on line four with Chris Stewart and Tyler Grauvac. So a big fall for Charlie Coyle. It's Jason Zucker who actually took Charlie Coyle's spot on that power play line. So Zucker gets a big boost there because we saw how well Coyle was doing. But for Coyle owners, I wonder like what they should do at this point. Like Maybe cut bait if he's on the fourth line. You're definitely not expecting any value from him while he's there. But I guess there's always the possibility that he could get back into the top six. But it's hard to... Even the top nine would be good. You know, they have three decent lines that score. And then they have this Chris Stewart and Tyler Grauvac line where i guess you just send the players who aren't doing well hoping to i don't know shake them up and get them to do well overall great numbers on the year for coil 38 points in 51 games it's over a 60 point pace but like i said you know only one assist was that six games and i don't expect any more points to come while he's on this line and not on the power play so 
Just curious to get your thoughts. Should people still be holding on to him or can you safely drop Coyle? I doubt anyone would add him, right? If you drop him and then if you see that he's going to go back on a good line, maybe just be quick to add him back first before someone else does. Someone else will probably wait for some points. You can just see, oh, he's back with Zach Parisi. Go at him. Okay, before I even answer this, I'm starting to feel bad about my response about Neuwirth and Mason. I know there are some people out there who need to make decisions right now and wondering if anything is different about the two. I still don't think so. And I still think it's impossible to predict. Like, it's a total coin flip about which goalie is going to get more starts. I still think Steve Mason is the better NHL goalie, but Michael Neuwirth could also be serviceable or better in whatever time he gets. Hopefully the trade deadline helps sort something out here. Okay, on to Minnesota and Coyle. I think you're right, Elon. We warned when he was doing so well. We warned about Charlie Coyle falling off being a 55-60 point guy. Uh, This isn't a told you so or anything because it's only six games that he's been struggling for. And I should hope nobody who picked up Coyle expected him to go straight through the rest of the year putting up even 50 or 55 points without a short dry spell here and there. So this might be that. I think he's an unsexy enough name that you could probably let him go and then add him back later if you do stay on top of things and notice he's starting to get things going again. Who I would prefer over Charlie Coyle at the moment is who you mentioned playing on very good lines, Jason Zucker. He is the points per 60 leader at even strength in the entire NHL this year. Remember, we talked about Connor Sheary first off in the episode who was second. Jason Zucker is first. His scoring line has looked more similar to a pitcher's win-loss record in recent years with goals outnumbering assists, but that's changed this year. He's already more than doubled his career high in assists with 22 on the season. So the question is, why is he suddenly getting so many assists? He had like five last year and 10 the year before. Well, in the past two years, he's been pretty much attached to Miko Koivu at the hip with Nita Ryder, Pominville, Coyle, Vonek, the other guys who've been cycled in as the third guy. This year, the line combo that Zucker has been spending the most time with has been Miko Koivu again and Mikhail Granlund. And Koivu and Granlund are both on pace for almost 25 goals each. So that helps Jason Zucker collect some of those apples. You also have to give him credit, though. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. All 22 of his assists have come at even strength, and 15 of them have been primaries. I do wonder if he won't continue getting so many assists. His on-ice shooting percentage is at 14%, which is to say that's twice as many shots that are becoming goals while he's on the ice than you could normally expect. So that number is definitely due to come down. But hey, if he can stick on the top power play unit, that would be great news. Just one of his 38 points on the season has come with the man advantage. And if he holds down that role, it could help offset some of the expected regression at even strength. Yeah, just a great time to be a Zucker owner. I would definitely grab him if you can in free agency. I'm trying to think of who else we've talked about earlier in the episode, like Marlowe versus Zucker maybe would be tough. I don't know. I'd, I'd have a tough time not taking Marlowe, but I do like Zucker right now. I take him over Chris Kunitz anyways, but for sure Zucker's not available. He's been just so good. Like you've said, someone who's not been doing that good lately, kind of like in Columbus, Devin Dubnik, two straight week games. What? Five goals against versus Calgary, three goals against versus Vancouver. But hey, it's only two bad games in a row so far. But, you know, Bobrovsky's four bad games in a row started with two bad games in a row. So we'll see. But yeah, I'm not too worried about Dubnik, but wanted to just point that out, that he hasn't been so sterling. It was actually very nice for me because my opponent 
in the couple this week had Dubnik and actually it ended up not really working out for me because he still ended up beating me actually in save percentage. But it was at least fun that I had a chance yesterday because Dubnik was having a couple of bad games. I also want to point out Ryan Suter on Minnesota. Pointless in five. Is this just like a low IPP situation? Like goals are still being scored and he's just not getting in on them. Like he was plus two yesterday. So obviously he was on the ice for goals. But I wonder if his owner's should be worried at this point. He hasn't been, you know, he had this really great start to the season and then he hasn't been doing much since. I don't know if that's fair to say, Elon. This is the first time that Ryan Suter has gone more than three games without a point this year. That's three consecutive games, of course. He's still on pace for between 45, 50 points and nothing's really happening. I mean, yes, there is this dry spell, but nothing else that I'm seeing spooks me off of that pace of 45 to 50 points. Yeah, well, even that, I mean, he had 51 points last year. So I guess even a 45 to 50 point pace is a small disappointment. But okay, I hear you. We'll see. Uh, I disagree. That's a disappointment if you were expecting too much. Maybe. That's fair. Uh, Jared Spurgeon seems to be getting a lot of time. Maybe he's starting to ease the need for Suter to be involved in all the offensive situations. I don't know. Like I said, I get at least comforted by the fact that he had that plus two. He should have been in on some points. Next snoozer. This guy, I think, might just be a snoozer, Brian. I'm ready to call him a snoozer if you're going to push the button with me. Mark Giordano, pointless in eight games, only 22 points in 55 games on the year. That's a 33-point pace. That's worse than Ghost Bear. And we were talking about potentially dropping him, or I was. You said, hold on to Ghost Bear. But Giordano, complete snoozer at this point. Cam, in our patron-only Facebook group, said he's not getting a sniff of time on that top power play. We thought he'd get back there eventually. Doesn't seem to be happening. When do you cut bait on Mark Giordano? Like, sure, maybe he gives you some peripherals, but there's a lot of guys in free agency who can give you peripherals. Giordano just not giving points. Like I said, pointless in eight. I can just keep repeating myself, but I'm curious to know your thoughts. I think you own Giordano, right, Brian, in the couple? How long are you going to hold on? Yeah, I own Giordano in two leagues, and I think this year might be the first time I've owned him in any leagues. Not going well. I can tell any other Giordano owners that there is a really aberrational number right now for him that I would expect to go up. And that's his IPP. It sits at 15% at even strength. And since the year that he cemented himself as an offensive force back in 2013-14, it's been around 45 and 50%. And even before that, it was at least in the 30s, sometimes the 20s. You can add to that no goals on 66 shots at even strength. So a zero percent shooting percentage. And he's also seeing the lowest on ice shooting percentage of his career though not by a ton. In all ways, it's been a bad year for Mark Giordano. He's also posting the lowest shot rates in four years. So I'm not just going to try and hit on the things that should be better, but aren't because of variance or whatever. He deserves some of this. Lowest shot rates in four years, though they aren't that far off from where they were two years ago when he had 48 points in 61 games. So I don't know if I can really use those shot rates as a legit reason for his fall off this year. Maybe he's falling off a bit, as age starts to weigh in a little more and there are a lot of other options on the Calgary blue line, but this has been a really steep drop. And I don't think he's as done as you might infer from his numbers. The bright side is his power play production is still there with 12 points to date, which puts him actually just outside the top 10 in that category amongst defensemen. And so with all that said, I think he's still going to be okay. I think the season has been unfair to him. I'm still hoping for better over the last 30 games, but I should point out, I never saw his rise as an offensive defenseman coming, so maybe I'm going to miss his fall as well. 
Yeah, well, we might be seeing it right now. We'll see if by the end of the year, if he can't bounce back by the end of this year, next year, he's going to be very easy to draft at the end of drafts. He'll be like someone that people would be calling sleeper pick, which would be very surprising considering how high he probably went in a lot of drafts this year. We've got Paul here in the chat room just lamenting all of his players who are letting him down. He's asking about Everly and Neil, and now he's like, oh, and I also have Giordano. So sorry, Paul. Hopefully all these guys will bounce back for you just in time for your fantasy playoffs, assuming you make it. Speaking of Calgary defenseman, how random was TJ Brody's four assists on Friday? He had been doing nothing for so long. I had dumped him in one league recently that I picked him up, and I was like even annoyed at myself for having added him in the first place. Now he has five assists in his last two games, which is great. I guess Calgary played today and nothing for Brody there. So I would say pretty random. Don't go too crazy about Brody, even though he had that four assist game. I don't see it happening again. And I want to mention that I guess the reason why Giordano is still able to get some power play points is because that second power play unit is not too shabby because it's got guys like Backlund and... Kachuk and, and you know these guys who are doing really well on Calgary even though they're not the big names that we would expect in fact Brian the leading scorer on Calgary right now is not Sean Monahan, is not Johnny Gaudreau it's Mikhail Backlund he has 37 points in 55 games which is definitely not what I would have expected going into the year Monahan has the same number of games but only 35 points he had an assist today versus the Rangers Gaudreau also has 35 points so you know Godro and Monaghan are nipping at the heels of Backlund, and Godro, by the way, 35 points in 10 less games than Backlund. So overall, Godro has been the better offensive player, but still pretty amazing. Hamilton, by the way, has 33 points. I'd be curious to know, Brian, I'm going to assume that Godro and Monaghan at the end of the season will be the top two scorers on Calgary. Curious to know if you think Backlund will hang in there as number three or if he'll end up falling off. Like This is an amazing pace for him, but come on. He's Mikhail Backlund. He's not going to be like a 60-point guy. If I picked a forward, it would be Mikhail Backlund. Part of me wants to try and be really cool and say Dougie Hamilton is going to be the third best scorer on Calgary by year's end. But maybe that is trying hard to be too cool. I think Backlund is the most reasonable choice. But Hamilton could catch him. If Giordano was having an on year, I'd probably say Giordano without any qualifiers. Well, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas, Brian. And yeah, Backlund, another great game today. Had two assists, uh, power play assist on Dougie Hamilton's goal and then assist on Matthew Kachuk's goal. So yeah, great year for them. But there's a reason why the Flames are in playoff contention this year. It's not because of their goaltending recently. It's because of this great secondary scoring they're getting. Okay, more cold streaks. I've got two more for you, Brian, to end the show. First of all, Pavel Buchnevich. This one I don't even have to ask. I'm just going to say... He's a snoozer. If you still have him, you have to let go. He's only had 10, 7, and then today 8.5 minutes of time on ice in his recent games. So you can't hold on to a guy who's not even getting the ice time. He's pointless in six now. Let him go. He's not in the top six anymore. The Rangers have been having new lines lately. Like today they were running Kreider, Zibanejad, and Zuccarello. So Zibanejad, if you recall, was with Nash and Buchnevich. But Zibanejad, I guess, gets the promotion. I don't know. It's a great line, obviously. Kreider, Zibanejad, and Zuccarello. And then Stepan is with Nash and Jimmy Vesey. So some nice potential value for VC there in the top six. Then you have Miller, Grabner, and Fast, and then Buchnevich down in the Charlie Coyle spot with Lindbergh and Pumpel, who came over to the Rangers from Ottawa earlier. Anyway, yeah, drop Buchnevich, forget about him. Got to ask you, though, how does JT Miller keep getting points, Brian? Like, he's in the bottom six himself. Like, he shouldn't be on such a great pace when he's playing with Grabner in fast, but somehow he keeps doing it. Another two assists today. He's got 18 points in his last 15 games, which is insane. Like, I'm sure before those 15 games, we were saying, ah, drop him. He's not going to be able to keep up the pace he's on. And he's got an even better pace. Like, he's up to now 40 points in 52 games on the season. That's a 63-point pace. He's actually seeing power play time with Kreider, Zuccarello, and Zibanejad, or at least in the last couple of games he's been on that line. So should we still expect JT Miller to slow down? I know that's what you've been saying the whole time, but at what point do we say this might be for real? 
I am asking myself that seriously now. JT Miller has been producing steadily for all but six weeks of this season. And his shooting percentage is high, sure. But he's been carrying a high one for over 130 games now, dating back to the start of last year. So this is the point where we start wondering, is he a guy who can maintain a consistently high shooting percentage? We don't know yet, but I'm opening myself up more to the possibility that that could be the case. Other than that, sure, yeah, maybe he's got a few more assists than he should, but he really is starting to make me a believer that he's one of the better mid-six guys to own in New York. I usually cluster them all together, right? And I would have had him in the same sort of area as VC and Buchnevich, but I think he is rising above those guys with this latest run. Interesting, like if you are into Jason Zucker at all, and I don't know, have been soured by my own talk or your own thoughts on JT Miller, JT Miller's numbers are actually identical to Jason Zucker's so far this season. 16 goals, 22 assists, but Miller is just around the 50th best forward and even strength points per 60 minutes thanks to the handful of points that he's gotten on the power play instead of an even strength. Yeah, I wonder if there's any lessons to be learned from this for next year when someone goes on a run like this. Because obviously, Brian, it's great that you've come around now. JT Miller's not available for anyone to pick up. All you're doing is helping JT Miller owners know that they maybe don't want to sell high anymore. I guess obviously depends how high you can sell. But yeah, next year, I guess, or moving forward, I'm going to have to use JT Miller as my example when you're really down on someone that's doing really well for a long time. I'm like, are you sure this isn't a JT Miller situation? I guess we'll have to see. It's tough in fantasy to know like which of these are real and which of these will cool down. Like, you know, like I was talking about Jordan Stahl last year who had that really great run. You're, normally we look for shooting percentage, but you're saying even with his somewhat inflated shooting percentage, things are still going well for a really long time. And then, like I said, VC, I, I actually didn't mention on Calgary, Brower has been with Goudreau and Monaghan. I want to throw VC in there with Brower and Nemesnikov. as like these guys that if you're in a deeper league and you're looking for a streamer, guys who are on their team's top line and top power play. Well, VC's not really on the top power play, but you know, top line guys who aren't really taking advantage of their opportunities. All in the bunch. I don't know. Go with whoever has the best schedule if you want to take a flyer on one of them. I want to end the show, Brian, with a guy who we own in our joint league. And I want to know if he's a snoozer. It looks like David Backus is a snoozer at this point. He's pointless in seven. Didn't get in on any of Boston's five goals yesterday in the 6-5 loss to the Leafs. He's still on line two with Krejci and Vetrano, but not doing anything, even though Krejci has five points in his last six games. I guess it's kind of like Nemesnikov when I said he was not getting any points, even though Kucherov is getting all these points. Overall, Bacchus has 22 points in 47 games on the season, which is below a half point per game pace. I feel like it's probably time for us to let him go, considering guys like Yager, Palat, Verbata, etc., are out there for us in free agency in our league. Obviously, we drafted Bacchus because there's points for hits, but if he's only going to get hits, not too interested. Yeah, precisely. And you can go even further back, and he's got just one point in 12 games, and that's all the way back to January 10th, so almost a month ago. He really hasn't done much since coming back from missing a few games due to injury. I wonder if there's something still bugging him, except you'd have hoped that the All-Star break would have helped to take care of whatever was ailing him. He always does have that upside as a guy who, in his best days, does hit and has upside to put up points as well. But if you don't need his hits, if they're not making or breaking your week, even when they are coming steadily, it is safe to cycle him out. Yeah, I mean, and if you do need the hits, you could still probably cycle him. And if you don't get him, you can get someone else. The only reason why you love David Backus specifically is because he gives you hits and points from the same roster spot. Like you said, there probably still is the upside there. But I feel like right now, I don't know, as soon as we say this, obviously he'll go hot. He's still in a good spot on the second line with Krejci, but I'd like to be seeing more. Not at Nemesnikov level yet for me, but he's getting there. And that, Brian, is all I've got for the show. So unless you have anything, I'm going to wrap this thing up. I think I just want to share one good point that was made in our patron group. 
this week. I'll give credit to Nico for bringing this up. He was bringing up how he had read an interview or heard an interview or a discussion about the goalie pants thing and how they're tight and how that's going to make it difficult for some goalies in the league. And Ryan Miller was rumored to be one of the smaller goalies who wore two sets of pants to make himself a little bigger in net. Now that he's got to wear a tighter set, perhaps he's going to be one of the ones who struggles more. Now he was against Minnesota, who are one of the more offensively capable teams in the league, but he gave up six goals in the first night of wearing his new pants. So I'm just putting it out there. Maybe you could expect a dip in his save percentage. And maybe this is an opportunity for Jacob Markstrom to have some sort of impact on fantasy rosters. It's a bit of a far-fetched idea. It's just something to watch. I thought it was a neat thing to think about that we haven't normally considered. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, we'll have to look into what Jacob Markstrom's thoughts are on pants sizes for goalies. But yeah, maybe also it's a decent time to sell high on Miller if you're going to buy into the idea that he's not going to be as good moving forward. But okay, with that, I want to thank everyone who joined us here in the chat room. This has been a lot of fun. Even on Super Bowl Sunday, we had a decent group show up. Also, obviously, thanks to everyone who listened. If you enjoyed the show, tweeted us. We always like to hear your feedback at Kevin Carlson. We'd love, love, love a five-star review on iTunes if you would be so kind. It only takes a second. I think it really helps us out. Pretty sure it does. Also, if you really want to help us out, I already talked about earlier, you could become a patron of Keeping Carlson. All the information is there for you at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And with that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrack. Great job as always, Brian. We should probably mention this programming note. Next week, we're going to be doing an early episode. We're actually going to be back at you on Thursday or maybe Friday morning with our next show. And then we're not going to be going again all the way until the following Monday, like a week from that Monday. Anyway, when the episode shows up in your podcast app, that's when you'll know it's there. It's because I'm going on a vacation. We're working around it. So sorry about that. For live shows, we'll keep you posted in the Patreon Facebook group and on Twitter. But yeah, catch you all in just a few days. Until Thursday or maybe Friday, keep on keeping Carlson.